As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. On this episode, yellow shirts beat yellow bellies in Leicester. We get the inside track on Juventus as the Champions League returns. Frank Kirby celebrates another landmark moment. And we round up the rest of the Chelsea news. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight out of Cobham. A very happy Monday to you, listener. It's me, Matt, here with two men who know all about Chelsea. They're here to discuss all things blue and some things yellow. Morning, Sam Parkin. Uh, good morning, Matt. Hello, Liam Toomey. Hello. Anyone got a good Rudiger King Power pun in the in the vein of Reese James at St James's Park? Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't been able to put one together yet. King Tony. There's no King Tony, is there? Um, it's a shame they're the they're, they're the foxes and not the tigers, because then you know, obviously, Frosty's based puns till Tuesday. But <laughs> maybe if they get a hole in the cup. Other breakfast cereals are available. (laughs) But they're not as good as Frosties. Uh, Listener, (laughs) right now we've got a special Black Friday deal running all week for a discounted subscription to The Athletic. It's only a pound a month for 12 months. It ends at midnight on Sunday. That's November the 28th, so you have to be quick. Head to theathletic.com slash ChelseaPod to sign up. Right then, let's kick off with Saturday lunchtime in Leicester. Here's Ziyech. Pulisic, 3-0. And it's the two substitutes who combine... The goal made by Hakim Ziyech and finished by the smiling Christian Pulisic. It's what we want to do. We want to we want to do our things over and over again and, and reach our standards over and over again and, and push the limits over and over again. And I'm, I'm happy with the way we played and, and with the results. This is the only thing we can have influence in. Leicester City nil, Chelsea 3 then, the Blues in yellow, producing a performance as inspiring as their opponents were insipid. All but done by half-time after goals from Tony Rudiger and N'Golo Kante. Sub-Christian Pulisic added a third in the second half, a second half in which Chelsea had three goals ruled out for offside. Uh, Liam, I spoke to Thomas Tuchel after the game and asked if it was Chelsea's best 45 minutes under him in that first half. He said it probably was. Would you agree with that? It's certainly right up there. You know as well as I do, Matt, that I can't remember any football that's taken place um, (laughs) before last weekend anymore. Uh, I just don't have that kind of reserves in my mind. It's all baby and dog. But 
but no, it, it, I mean, it's hard to remember Chelsea playing playing better all around. Um, the, it was the perfect blend of control and creation in their play. And against the team in Leicester, who are so good at exploiting any holes you leave on the counter-attack. I, I saw at half-time um, XG Philosophy, the uh, the popular account Twitter account, put the, the half-time XG up and Leicester's was 0.00. And I know they had. Um, I know Vardy put in that low cross that Rudiger cleared, which which would have been a tap in for Lookman. So maybe that's not entirely reflective. But aside from that, Leicester were absolutely no threat, and it was a complete credit to the way to the way Chelsea Chelsea dominated the game. And I think the other thing to say is that when when this team plays this well under Tuchel, the goals seem to be able to come from any, anywhere. You know, they they don't necessarily have an obvious goal scorer and maybe if Lukaku was in the team it would be different but there's no one you can just rule out even if it's N'Golo Kante running with the ball to a position 25 yards out on his weaker foot um, it was just a really complete performance they never looked in danger and it was it was a real statement um, of Premier League title credentials and quite the contrast Sam from Burnley before the break where they'd made all those chances and, and missed them and then kind of ran out of ideas as the second half went on and, and that that kind of progression is what we're used to seeing now, isn't it, from Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea? If they have a, not necessarily even a bad game, I didn't think, against Burnley, but if they don't get the result, they invariably find the issues from that game and then improve on them for the next match, even if it's a fortnight later with players having come back from all over the world. Yeah, absolutely zero hangover from, from that game, which was a big disappointment. And um, yeah, I mean, it was it was clinical in the first half. I still get greedy sat there, you know, wanting them to really put Leicester to the sword because we all know football. And I've seen so many games where if Leicester had responded in that second half and got a goal, we would have probably been, well, not treated, but having to sit through a grandstand finish, would have, which would have been completely unjust. So I still felt in the first half, there were moments where Chelsea's final ball was sloppy. And um, there was a few players, I thought, Havertz picked the wrong option on a few occasions as good as Chilwell continues to be, he should have scored prior to the um, the opening goal going in. So there was a few moments where I, I was left frustrated. I mean, this should be 4-0. I should be thinking about the Juventus game and there's still that glimmer of of hope for, for, for Leicester. But that spell of pressure just didn't arrive at any stage. I think there was one Vardy header, a couple of shots from distance, which Mendy dealt with. Um, but it was so one-sided, and the the third goal was completely just and put the the gloss on a on a brilliant performance. I would say the best performance over two halves. You could argue that the second half at Spurs or the first half at Arsenal was probably as as good. But I think you know as a complete performance when you look through every unit of the side, especially defensively, the wide players and probably Jorginho and. Uh, and Kante I'm not going to go for everyone but yeah there was just uh, maybe a little bit lacking at times with the, the front three I thought I thought Mount and Havertz were slightly off it but that's that's um, being a little bit particular Yeah Leicester pretty poor capitulating at home to a, a team who are going to finish in the top four so a decent audition from Brendan Rodgers for the Man United job <laughs> uh, you could say 
Uh, Sam's mentioned a few individuals there, Liam. I wanted to talk about Callum Hudson-Odoi too because he was the subject of Simon's post-match piece on The Athletic. Simon arguing that Callum made the right choice not to go with England under-21s given how he's done since. And not just the fact that he started this match but that he finished it as well. When I saw Ziyech and Pulisic warming up, your inclination is to think that the number 20 is going to go up but uh, he played the 90 here. So yeah, maybe vindication for that decision not to go away. Yeah, the only uh, cynical interpretation of him staying on for 90 minutes is that he won't be playing against Juventus. Um, we'll see. But I think it, you know, it's fair to, it's certainly fair for Simon to to, to argue that Hudson-Odoi made the right choice in, in prioritising Chelsea because it's been clear for some time that Tuchel is kind of the latest in a series of Chelsea coaches that needs to be convinced by Hudson-Odoi, not by his talent, but perhaps by his his work rate and his application to other aspects of the game. Um, and so, you know, just by virtue of sticking around at Cobham and working every day and trying his best to impress Tuchel on the training pitch, that sends the right message. And Tuchel has rewarded him with minutes in his favoured position in the front three. I know he played a little bit on the right of that front three during the game as well, but he was kind of predominantly from the left narrowly missed one good chance to score but carried a constant threat I thought and he's he's beginning to get a bit more rhythm and a bit more confidence than we've seen really at any time in his Chelsea career and uh and that that that's a positive sign because if if he does do that we all know the talent is sky high if he can convince Tuchel then there's an incredible player in there just waiting to come out and 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 really help lift Chelsea's attack to another another level and what's a more positive sign Sam I guess for, for Thomas Tuchel is, is the fact that he brings on two players who play in that position as well in Ziyech and Pulisic and they combine for the third goal so they're knocking on the door to start on Tuesday and, and going forward it just underlines what we've been saying about the strength and depth of this Chelsea squad yeah I think that we were we were all confident excited start of the season with the options in in those positions and yeah good to see them both contributing I, I felt this was Hudson Odoi's best performance by some distance. I thought he started really sharply. Uh, I was really encouraged with the way that he began the game. And, you know, in, with two teams that are playing quite a similar setup, um, yeah, the wing backs are, are terrific at the moment. We know that. But I think the job that him and Mount did uh, in terms of getting between the lines, you know, making Leicester outnumbered in that area of the pitch, that was the big difference, really, because Lookman and, and Barnes didn't provide that for, for Leicester or not capable of providing that. So I think that that's a huge tick in the in the box for, for Callum Hudson-Odoi. I honestly thought it was a, a really mature performance, you know, moved the ball quickly, was involved in a lot of those, those movements which saw Chelsea breaking into all kinds of space. Um, so yeah, really encouraged with his application, his attitude and and obviously his, his contribution at the weekend. So, yeah, he's put himself right back in the picture, you know, like like Ruben Loftus-Cheek has done in the early months of the season. I think Hudson-Odoi now has kind of reached that standing as well in the squad. Uh, Liam, Tony Rudiger was one of the quiz questions on Thursday. Luckily enough, you missed out on that. I'm going to have to re- rework the stats for when I pull it out next season as well. That was a, a lovely near post header, albeit he didn't have many challenges. And another goal for him on that ground. Yeah, three of his nine Chelsea goals have come at the King Power, four of nine in total against Leicester. No idea what 
you know, maybe maybe a fox attacked him as a kid or something, and he spent his entire life <laughs> devoting himself to revenge. Um, but it, you know, it just goes to show what Rudiger can do in the attacking part of the pitch when he's not shooting from forty yards. Uh, Liam, you're the proper journalist among us, so you're going to get my two serious questions as we wrap up on Leicester. A, how much do you love a sheepish N'Golo Kante goal celebration? <laughs> and B, are you a fan of the yellow kit? <laughs> I do like the yellow kit. I, do, I mean, I think it's... When when Chelsea first unveiled it, I did think it was a brazen attempt to entice Erling Haaland <laughs> because it is so Borussia Dortmund. It's it's more Dortmund than Dortmund's kit this year. Um so yeah, that that was my impression. But I do like it. I, I I am a bit of a sucker for a yellow kit. I remember the one in Sarri's season, probably still my favourite yellow Chelsea kit. And on to the other more serious question. Yeah, I I love Kante celebrations. It seems like a um a kind of tragic bargain that he makes on the football pitch. That he's 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 doomed to consistently do things that get people to look at him. And the one thing he hates more than anyone, anything else is people looking at him. And I, I really like the interview he did after the game as well, where I think he, he was talking to Vishali Badwaj, um, saying that he took the shot because he went for the pass and it wasn't on. So he, he basically reluctantly scored a screamer with his left foot from 25 yards. He's just an, a one-of-a-kind one player, one-of-a-kind person. And... Just enjoy him for for as long as we can. I don't know if you two are in agreement. I suppose two things about about the goal. I was really surprised because I've not seen him execute a finish like that ever with his left foot. And it was unbelievable if he spotted the position of Johnny Evans and knew that had to be whipped back across him. And secondly, the way it hit the net and came back out, I thought it had gone wide. Yeah. I know you were at the game, but I, there would seem to be that that lull, that that hush around the stadium. I wasn't sure if it was in. Yeah, and, and not just that, but Thomas Tuchel kind of turning away in disgust that he'd taken the <laughs> shot and then realising that he'd gone in. And, oh, very good, N'Golo. Yes, yes, that's that's just what I was uh, asking you to do. Must have caught the must have caught the, the net configuration somehow where it sprung out. It was very odd because I thought it was wide. Yeah, uh, the sign of a magnificent afternoon for Chelsea. The supporters even broke out the Willian chant at one point, which uh, I was not expecting, but that's how easy it was. Uh, Chelsea's next Premier League game is against those hapless chumps from Manchester United on Sunday. Before that, though, the Blues are back in Champions League action, and that's where we'll turn our focus next. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
It's the penultimate match day in Champions League Group H on Tuesday. And for Chelsea, that means the visit of Juventus to Stamford Bridge. Who better to tell us about the old lady, yeah, that's Juventus, not my nan, uh, than the Athletics Italian football guru James Horncastle, who joins us now. Uh, James, you've a poor start to the season, but but fair to say they'll arrive in London fairly buoyant after claiming a third successive win at the weekend? Yeah, um, I think you can say that. Um, Juventus keep winning by very small margins, um, which if you listen to their coach, Max Allegri, you know, who's come back to the club after a couple of years. Yeah, that's very much his philosophy. You know, he's a big horse racing fan. Um, grew up going to the horse track and says, look, if you win by a nose, you win by a nose. And that's uh, and that's become kind of his philosophy. So, I mean, the game against Lazio at the weekend, um, yeah, they won 2-0, uh, two penalties uh, that won them the game, uh, stonewall penalties. Uh Bonucci scored both of them, their centre-back, and he's their joint top scorer uh, in the league this year with three goals. So I think the, the, the thing to bear in mind is that Juventus is still figuring out how to uh, score goals without Cristiano um, because when they've had him for three years and he guarantees you more than 20 goals a season, it's natural that the, the team kind of looks to him or someone like him to score goals. And they've had a lot of injuries up front. I mean, Dybala is always in and out of the team with injuries. Um, Morata, as Chelsea fans know, um, is someone who, if you look at his numbers, you're like, wow, he scored a lot of goals this season. But you remember the ones he's missed rather than the ones that he scored. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, if you go back to the, the first game between these two teams, uh, yeah, back on, when was it, match day one, um, it, the surprise was that, yeah, Allegri had to play Chiesa, who's a winger, up front with Benedeschi, who doesn't really have a position, um, and it worked. It worked pretty well. That was that. That felt like the starting point of, of Juventus' season and, and getting them back to the DNA, I suppose, that they felt they'd lost under Maurizio Sarri and Pirlo, who have very different ideas on how football should be played. Is it fair to say that they're going to come to Stamford Bridge and, and, and not be particularly open, given given that they've won that first meeting between the two? There's, there's not much pressure on them to, to get three points here, I guess. Yeah, I think so. I mean, they're qualified with a couple of games to spare. They, I think they'll look to try and win the game, um, but you know, they won't force it uh, by any means. You know, I think Allegri looks at the squad and thinks... You know, we've got born counter-attackers on this side. I've already mentioned Chiesa, there's Kulusevsky, there's Cuadrado, um, you know, guys like that who are kind of set up uh, to, you know, play in a low block where you kind of look to Bonucci and Delict and Chiellini if he's available um, to be able to defend the penalty area and stop anything uh, that comes in it. Uh, and then hit teams on the counter-attack and not be ashamed of that. You know, that's something that Allegri keeps saying. You know, you, teams shouldn't be ashamed of defending in the way that we do. Um, shouldn't be ashamed of winning games 1-0. Um, uh, yeah, these things were valid in football 10, 20, 30 years ago and they, they should still be valid today. Lots of injury problems at the moment. I, expecting any of those to clear up in time for Tuesday? I'm thinking Bernadeschi, Chiellini, De Shiglo, you mentioned Dybala, even, even Danilo. Doubtful, I think so. It's um, it's a pretty threadbare squad at the moment. Yeah, um, as I mentioned, yeah, Dybala is is always in and out of the side. Um, yeah, they've got a big game coming up at the weekend against Atalanta. Um, Juventus currently outside the top four, 
um, Atalanta are fourth, so that's a yeah that's seen as a big game, and they might they might look at that and think, okay, we're not going to risk um, some of these players uh, for a game which you know is is important because it would decide who finishes first. But sometimes we've seen teams that finish first get yeah terrible draws in the round of 16. It doesn't seem to make all that much difference uh, whether you finish first or second these days uh, in, in this competition because the teams in the, uh, the, token, uh, the token group with all the randoms in it, they seem to draw the, the other weaker group. Um, don't know why that is. Quirk of the, quirk of the draw, uh, I would say. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, Danilo's injury is big. I mean, you know, a lot of people look at that swap, Danilo for Cancelo, Man City and think, oh well, City did very well out of that deal, and it's true. Cancelo's a you know transformative player in that position, but Danilo has done very well, particularly over the last year, because he's a kind of hybrid player. Can play as a fullback, has played in a back three, can play in midfield. You know, very good, to, very good for the balance of the team. So they'll miss him, um, but I must say, in even in Chiellini's absence at the weekend, I think one of the the kind of main takeaways was Delict. Uh, Delict has this weird reputation on on social media as being not very good at Juventus. He's been excellent, you know, really. Apart from the first three or four months when he would, you know, fell foul of the new hand ball rule, which seemed to, you know, the ball just seemed to find his hand all the time. Um, he's been very good. Um, so, um, so I think that's, you know. It, Allegri always finds a way. Um, yeah, he doesn't make excuses about injuries or the squad or, you know, I mean, even if he had players available, you know, it wouldn't be surprised, you know, if he rested some because he, that's just the way he is. It's like, we've got a Christmas period coming up, lots of games and players are not scooters. You can't just rev them up all the time. You have to leave something in reserve, otherwise they'll burn out uh, and you'll have to take them for a, for an MOT. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I think he'll... He won't be phased by some of the, the injuries that they've got. Uh, Juan Cadrado, James, discuss. Uh, Chelsea, it often looked like he'd, he'd come onto the pitch with his laces tied together. Yeah, he's a, a key player <laughs> for Juventus. You, you got any theories to why it just didn't happen for him in England? Well, I mean, he, he wasn't there long, was he? Uh, yeah, sometimes it takes players uh, a bit of time to adapt. You know, I mean, Cadrado is kind of a really interesting player in, in, in the last nine years of Juventus, really, because... Uh, you know, supposedly it was Juventus' unwillingness to pay 25 million um, for him uh, that led Conte to basically said, right, enough's enough. You haven't got the ambition uh, for a coach like me to push on and win the Champions League, so I'm 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 out. Um, and then they did sign him um, from Chelsea, um, and I'd say last season he was their best player. Um, yeah, he, he is the he's the guy who finds a way for this team in the final third, because as I mentioned, you know, Dybala is often out injured. Uh, Cristiano was one of those players who, um, you know, you can be given for thinking that Juventus were playing with ten men at some uh, some stage last year. Um, you know, ultimately he he seemed to only care about scoring, uh, and, and Cuadrado is the guy who can beat a player one v one. Uh, has a great delivery, um, and he's the inventive spark in this team because the yeah the criticism of Juventus um, in these last few years, really since Pogba left and Marquisio kind of had to retire, is that the midf- the midfield just hasn't been good enough, and so you know the the inspiration of this team tends to come from 
from Quadrado, who Allegri just loves because you know he can play anywhere. You know, he can play as a fullback, he can play as a wing back, he can play as a winger, uh, up and down that right hand side. It, it doesn't really matter. So, yeah, he's it's it's weird because I think he's got everything to be a very good Premier League player. Um, yeah, not in the same way that you know Chelsea were wrong about Salah, wrong about De Bruyne, or the manager at the time was wrong about those players. I don't think there's any reason to doubt that he could, when if given a proper chance, um, you know, maybe at a different time at Chelsea, maybe it was just the right club at the wrong time for him, um, could have been a success. James, you mentioned Juve's uh, more counter-attacking identity this season under under Allegri, and that was certainly a big part of their success against Chelsea in Turin, and, and Federico Chiesa was was a big a big part of that. He's been brilliant the last few months one of the most fun players to watch in Europe uh, in my opinion and um, there was a bit of talk wasn't there around the Euros of him potentially being a target for other major European clubs notably Chelsea Um, and it seemed like Juventus shot that down quite quickly um, before it could gain any sort of momentum what what sense do you get about how he's regarded within the club is he is he regarded as someone now that Juve are really building their entire attack around very highly. Um, I think one of the things that stood out uh, in his first season at Juventus was he kind of went to another level. Um, so yeah, the, the stage wasn't too big for him. Um, you know, often players come to Juventus, and uh, I remember Allegri saying that sometimes the shirt, you know, it, it, it goes from being a medium to a triple XL on them, uh, and uh, they look uncomfortable, they look out of place. Um, he didn't. Um, yeah, I think even in the games that they had last year, which which went against them, think of the round the 16 one against Porto, he really showed up in that game and did everything possible to to, to get them through to a quarterfinal. Ultimately, it wasn't to be. Um, but I think the other thing that's really impressive about Chiesa is uh, his, his mentality. I mean, when Juventus lost games that they were expected to win last year, he was the one who showed up in front of the telecameras afterwards for the interview. Um, I know we kind of use this phrase a lot in football, spoke very well. Um, but I, I think the, the reason why he was put up for those interviews, A, is, I think is he wanted to to front up, but B, I think it's because they see him as, as, as one of the future leaders um, of this team, um, particularly with, you know, Chiellini, will this be his last season? Um, you know, Bonucci certainly isn't getting any younger. Um, there is a young core um, to this uh, Juventus side. If you overlook, for example, uh, Cristiano, who's gone, uh, Bonucci, Chiellini, um, because, you know, there's, what, there's Delict, um, there is uh, Bentancur, there's Chiesa, there's Kulisevsky, um, uh, there's McKenney. There's a, there's a lot of young players um, at, uh, alongside the old lady these days, but they, they need someone to stand up and take over the leadership that Chiellini and Bonucci have had for so many years. And I think there's a feeling that you know, Chiesa um, understands what the club's all about and wants to be a part of it. Um, so, look, I think getting Cristiano off the wage bill uh, was of some relief um, for Juventus. It, it, it made let's say, having to sacrifice one of these stars, a delict, a Chiesa, um, less, less of a priority than it might have been. 
Uh, James, before we let you go, you've got a piece up on The Athletic now about the former Chelsea striker, Andrei Shevchenko. Can you um, tell us a bit more about that, please? <laughs> yeah, Sheva is, is in club management. Uh, it's his first club job uh, with Genoa uh, after, what, five years working with with Ukraine. Uh, yeah, recognises doing a good job for them in that uh, they were undefeated in qualifying for the Euros, qualified ahead of Portugal, uh, and then uh, reached the quarterfinals where they were eliminated by uh, by England. Um, but that was the best ever uh, result Ukraine have had at a major tournament after 2006, when they also reached the, the quarterfinals with Sheva actually up front. Um, so he's now in charge of Genoa. They're in the relegation zone. They played their first game uh, at the weekend against uh, his former Chelsea manager, um, Jose Mourinho, who I think uh, we've we've written about that relationship on the Athletic. Uh, it also features in that article that you you mentioned. Uh, and uh, unfortunately for Chevrolet, it didn't go his way. Uh, General held out for eighty two minutes and then lost two uh, nil. So um, yeah, he's got a real fight on his hands. Um, but I think one of the interesting things is that. You know, one of the reasons these new owners who are from the States picked him was because they, they think he's very good at strategizing for big games because, you know, Ukraine got results against France. They got results against Spain, teams that are much better than Ukraine on paper. And certainly for a team that's in a relegation battle, um, that's the order of the day for, for Sheva. So we wish him well. Magnificent. James, thanks very much for your time today. Enjoy the game. Pleasure. I hope you guys enjoy it as well. Remember, the only place to read James Horncastle's work is on The Athletic. Uh, Chelsea-wise, Sam, I'm guessing we're not expecting too many changes to the lineup from Saturday. Maybe a Werner for a Havertz, maybe a Christensen for a Chalaber. Oh, I don't know. Obviously, you're going to want to win the game and and try and win the group. But I think there's an opportunity to rotate a little bit. I think you can always read something into maybe Pulisic and, and Ziyech being the the two that came off the, the the bench at the weekend and obviously contributed. So wouldn't be surprised if there was a start there and probably Christensen would be the other one, either for Silver or, or Chalaba, just uh, in terms of rotation. But um, yeah, I have to be aware of another team who've got that real pace and, and threat on the counter-attack. And it, it felt like Thomas Tuchel's decision was kind of based on the threat that Jamie Vardy possessed at the weekend. So I wouldn't be too surprised if it's something similar, but with one or two changes in in more forward positions. The other big question from a Chelsea perspective is whether Roman Abramovich will be there. Um, We know he's in London at the moment. He was at Stamford Bridge during the week for an event as part of um, Chelsea's anti-Semitism campaign, which we know is very important to him. And... So if he was ever going to attend a game at Stamford Bridge again, you would think now is the time. Uh, so, yeah, we'll, we'll just see. It would be a big one for him to, to arrive at. Yeah, you can bet the cameras will pick him out if he is there. At eight o'clock kickoff time at the bridge on Tuesday for that. That'll give us plenty of time to react to the game in our Thursday show. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, 
has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, the women's team cruised to a 5-0 win against Birmingham at Kings Meadow. The Blues were 4-0 up at half-time thanks to a Sam Kerr hat-trick and a Frank Kirby chip that can only be described as delicious. Uh, Kirby added a second midway through the second half. The result leaves Chelsea a point behind leaders Arsenal after they beat Man United 2-0. After we recorded on Thursday, it was Kerr who got the only goal of the game as Chelsea nudged past Servette in the Champions League. Uh, Sam... Kirby scoring a hundredth goal on Sunday for Chelsea. I mean, that that first one was exceptional. I just wonder though, really, if, if her legacy is going to be realised in ten to fifteen years' time. You know, you you look now when you read an interview with a Chelsea Academy player, a men's academy player on the website, and it says, "Who was your idol growing up?" It's always John Terry. I feel like with women coming through into the team over over the next decade or so, it's always going to be Frank Kirby. Her her contribution to Chelsea is not just going to be what she's done on the pitch. I think. No, it's been it's been huge, and I suppose when you look at all the the elements to it as well, in terms of the, the type of character she is, the things she's had to overcome uh, in her in her personal life, and obviously there was the the uh, the illness a few years ago where there was a period where you felt she may not be able to continue. So she's overcome that. Um, the type of player in that she's a bit of a, I suppose she's a flamboyant number 10 uh, light player who can play a variety of roles, scorer of spectacular goals as well. So that's what you want to be, I suppose, when you're you're getting into football. But you're just a brilliant role model. Um, I remember our first Champions League goal, I think it was at Staines and being there that night and getting the opportunity to interview her with, probably would have been with um, with Gigi Salmon on, on Chelsea TV. Just a lovely, lovely person. Um, so enthusiastic and she already had a catalogue of amazing goals but I thought that was another night where she ticked something off first Champions League goal and obviously to complete the set uh, will be her ambition and will really catapult her well not that she needs catapulting but will make her a, a Chelsea great for years to come if she can win the Champions League so I'm sure she's still got ambitions but but yeah, I suppose those two goals summed her up brilliantly as well, Matt, because the first one was, you know, that's probably about 20th in in her, her greatest goals for Chelsea, but it was uh, probably better than anything I ever conjured. <laughs> uh, the other good news to emerge this week, uh, Liam, for, uh, from a Chelsea women's perspective, is the fact that Lauren James has finally been able to get some minutes on the pitch, came off the bench against Savet, did the same against Birmingham at the weekend. That, that's an excellent weapon to add to the armoury for the, for the second half of the season. Yeah, she's an incredible young talent and it's a real, you know, we, it feels like we say this every time we talk about Chelsea women, but it's an incredible um, luxury of options that Emma Hayes now has now in the attacking positions. Um, and James is probably the, you know, the brightest young attacker in English football, maybe the brightest, bright one of the brightest young attackers in, in women's football around the world. So to be able to to call upon her. I know she's had to be a little bit patient. It's a, it's a mark of how good Chelsea are that they haven't really missed her while they've been waiting for her to be available. And now hopefully we'll see an awful lot more of her. And uh, if she can, 
if she can play to the standard that Reese has been playing to so far this season, um, I think we're 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 going to see some pretty nice pretty nice moments and pretty nice highlights from Chelsea women. Well, there's an international break for the women now, so their next game is at home to Juventus in the Champions League. That is on the eighth of December. It was a winning weekend all round for Chelsea on Friday. The men's under-23s were 3-1 victors away to Leeds in PL2 thanks to a brace from defender Xavier Umbuyamba and the standard Lewis Baker penalty. And meanwhile, the under-18s, the biggest winners of the weekend, they thumped Brighton 6-1 away from home. They are top of the under-18 Premier League South. Uh, No plugs from Sam and Liam uh, because they're not writing stuff. Basically, there is lots of other Chelsea stuff to read up on The Athletic. Now, we mentioned James Horncastle's piece with Andrei Shevchenko. Uh, well worth having a read of Simon justifying Callum Hudson-Odoi, or Callum Hudson-Odoi justifying himself, his decision not to go away with the England under-21. Simon's also got a piece arguing that Chelsea don't need to do any strengthening in the January transfer window. Athletic.com slash Chelsea pod is the place to go to sign up. Remember, we've got that offer on for just a pound a month at the moment if you want to give us a five-star review by the way on your preferred podcast platform of choice that always helps other Chelsea fans find the show that'll do it for today though many thanks to producer Lucy for knocking it all together for James Horncastle for joining us earlier and to Liam and Sam as well but mainly to you though listen we'll catch up with you again on Thursday until then from all of us here it's goodbye The Athletic 